You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Second Chronicles chapter 7 is the rebuilding of the temple. It's a dedication of the temple. It begins by saying, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. The sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They worshiped and gave thanks, saying, He is good, His love endures forever. That evening, God appears to Solomon in a dream. It says, I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. When I go to preach, um, especially since in all the time gateways existed, we've had a metal roof. Whether it was at the school or in our first building or here, and I always kind of go, well, I'm gonna be competing with the rain today. And yet, as I had that thought over there, as we're singing this song, Revival, in that passage in Second Chronicles, the reference to, and I, will, and I will heal your land, is a direct reference to rain. It's a direct reference to land that needs to be healed is a dry and arid land. And even when, says, when God would, he said, when I will shut up the heavens, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. There's a resource, a book that I'm going through with the pastoral staff and the elders on renewal. And there's a line in this book that's highlighted that says revival is renewal gone viral. Revival is renewal gone viral. Why is that important? Because I grew up in church. I grew up in church singing and praying for revival and it always just seemed like it was this endless quest or um, a more focus on all the stuff that was, was bad, like in my life or in the world or, or whatever. And I guess when I read that line, it gave, it gave some meat to it, to me. That revival is renewal gone viral. That, that when, when I position myself to be renewed by God, then that renewal doesn't stay with me. His renewal of me renews more than just me. And so if we, if we, if we truly are after a, a revival of God's presence in our families, in our country, in our church, or it, it really does kind of solo in for a moment on, on us. Do we want renewal? Do we want renewal? So take a deep breath with me, all right? Now let it out as deeply. It's hard to talk and breathe deep and hold it. But let's do it again to see if I can get it right this time. 
Why does taking a deep breath feel good? Why does it feel good? I decided I was gonna track that down. And here is a simple explanation from the University of Washington, medical journal from the University of Washington, and I love the title. It was, this is why deep breathing makes you feel so chill. I thought it was a unique title from a medical journal article. It says, your autonomic nervous system, which controls involuntary actions like heart rate and digestion, is split into two parts. Um, one part, the sympathetic nervous system, controls your fight or flight response. The other part, the parasympathetic nervous system, controls your rest and relax response. And while both parts of your nervous system are always active, deep breathing can help quiet your sympathetic nervous system and therefore reduce feelings of stress and anxiety. It is not possible to turn the sympathetic nervous system off completely. But the writer says, but I think of shifting one's breathing to a modulated, slow relaxed pattern um, of not overly deep inhales and exhales as a way to turn the volume down on it. So when I read that, I said it takes then a pause and a practice. It takes pause and practice to breathe deeply. And the weight and the pace of our lives do not foster that kind of breathing, right? The other kind of breathing outside of deep breathing would be called hyperventilating, right? And those are, those are short, shallow bursts of breath, definitely standing in opposition to deep breathing. You have to pause and practice deep breathing. So we know that our body needs oxygen, but are we as aware that our spirit needs spirit? That our, our spirit needs spirit. The Hebrew word for breath is, is ruach. And this word is the word used for God breathing in the nostrils of Adam, breathing into him life. It's, I love to say that when God created us, it got his hands dirty, got his hands dirty, and then he imparts life into us by breathing his spirit into us. It's a great new word. But also, when you fast forward into the Old Testament, when Israel has been released from Egypt, and they stand at the, um, at the, the cliff maybe, or the, the, they stand at the place of the Red Sea, and it looks like all their deliverance was gonna be for naught. And then the scripture says that then, then Moses goes to the edge and he raises his hands, and that's when Hollywood takes over and he raises his hands and then goes like this. But what the word says is that the wind blew all night. And the word used for, and the wind blew all night is Ruach. The spirit of God then parts waters and creates muddy seabeds into dry paths. And it's the same word. So God's Ruach, his breath, breathes new life. And in the context of Israel, I would say, renews life. There was a renewal of life with his breath. The Greek for breath is pneuma, which also can mean spirit. And so after the resurrection of Jesus, he enters a locked room of fearful disciples, and this is John's writing of that encounter. 
On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. There, there, was a, there was a proximity. You have to be in proximity of someone to breathe on them. And, and in that proximity, and Jesus breathed on them his spirit, then there was this renewed sense of presence because he had been, gone, they thought, gone forever, right? And so there, and then the breath of God was a renewed sense of presence. There was a renewed sense of identity. Once again, they, he, he, was, he was theirs and they were his. And, and there comes a renewed sense of purpose because he says, as I'm sending, as I'm sending, I'm sending you. I've sent you and I'm sending you. That the breath of God, the breath of God, when breathed in deeply, then does all these renewal things for us. And then we can turn in 2 Timothy, um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul describes the word of God as God breathed. So then when we take in the word of God, we'll, we'll learn the word of God is, is food here in a minute, but, but, but it's also breath. When I, when I receive this word of God, I'm receiving the breath of God. And so the word of God brings, it brings renewal. Last week, I broke down the word renewal this way. I said re was part of the prefix. It was prefix, again, um, new, the root, fresh or original, all the suffix indicating process or action, and then also, you know, Gene and I were figuring out, I've actually lived in Tennessee now longer than I've lived in any, in any state, even where I grew up, which is amazing. New Jersey and Tennessee is definitely on the opposite ends of, of uh, a cultural spectrum, and, um, and I'm not leaning one way or the other. Uh, but all is y'all, you know, I mean, it's for all of us, right? You, you've got to put apostrophe and a couple L's there. I said that renewal is a p- replenishing process for original fresh life. And then even going through this message this week, my new addition would be that renewal is a God act of restoring original life. Every week things get simpler for me and I can say them more simply. A, a God act of restoring original life. I said that renewal is something that we receive and not achieve and that for all of our type A, um, you know, driven, only child, firstborn, and, Rule fall. You know, I mean, this is good news, right? This is good news that this is something he does. And then I gave us, um, I gave us a posture for renewal. And I wrote it out as um, N2 equals A2O2. It was renewal comes from an awareness of, of a need for renewal. That we ask for renewal. That we offer ourselves to God for renewal. And then we obey the path that he puts in front of us for renewal. Right? Now, it's not possible to preach all these messages all over again. I try to do a little bit to catch you up, but the podcast on our website, you can always catch previous messages. And, um, you know, this is not a sitcom, right? This is, this is not a television drama. I, I, I can't introduce tension and solve the tension all in a 30-minute time frame, right? So you can only do so much in the time we have, but I know and I have complete confidence that God has the ability to do everything in the time we have, Amen. But, but that content, you can always go back and get that because I kind of put a puzzle together over the course of a series. Um, 
So breathing in the spirit is, breathing in of the spirit is an intentional pause. It's a renewal practice. And I want to, um, but I want to transition here more to fasting being another renewal practice. Each year, uh, I lead you through a, uh, a beginning year fast. And this is kind of, kind of an introduction to that today. Um, so Gina nor I are foodies. Um, I, unfortunately, sometimes I make fun of foodies because I think they're easy targets. Um, but it's nothing wrong with being a foodie. It's just, it's just when, I, when I go kind of come back into my uh, upbringing, whatever, I'm not an experienced person. I mean, like, I don't spend money on experiences. And that's just, that's just a fault of mine. It's just part of my MO. Annie makes fun of us all the time. You know, I, I like nice things. I like stuff that stays around. You know, experience, it goes away, right? So this idea, eating out expensive meals is entertainment. It's not nourishment. You can get a burrito for that, okay? So, but, but I do remember on one particular occasion, we got invited to one of these kind of meals, you know, this multi-course kind of thing, and, and we're there, and I, I don't know, we saw everything, you know, and when you go to real, really fancy meals, they tell you what they're going to give you, right? And when they, they show you, they write it down for you, and so this was written down for us, and we saw, and we got to sorbet, and it was like the second or third thing in on like this long list of stuff, and I'm like, I guess the host really kind of looked at Gene and I and realized they don't do this, um, and so, so he pulled me to the side and said, this is a palate cleanser, a palate cleanser. I just thought it was a second dessert, or a first dessert. It was a palate cleanser. So, so again, looking this up, a definition of a palate cleanser is a neutral flavored food or drink that removes food residue from the tongue, allowing one to more accurately assess a new flavor. And what occurred to me is biblical fasting is a spiritual palate cleanser. A beginning year fast is our position to remove last year's past residue. Do you have any of last year past residue still stuck in your palate? So that's a good question to write down in your journals. A journal is a written record of your journey. And I think even identifying, spending some time trying to realize and assess, do I have stuff left over that needs to be cleansed? And fasting is more than putting away food, it's a spiritual act of cleansing. So in the three different ways that we're gonna discuss about how the, pat, our, the spiritual palate gets cleansed, we have a renewal of presence, fasting is a path for renewal of personhood, and fasting is a renewal of purpose. All right, don't get lost in the alliteration. I'll break it down. I try to do that so you can have handles, not to be cute. There's a renewal of presence, a renewal of personhood, and a renewal of purpose. So fasting was widely practiced in the Old and New Testament, but for today's message, I'm just gonna go straight to Jesus. Not a bad starting point with whatever you're doing. We're gonna look at Jesus's fast and all of what it contained. So we pick up a precursor to that in Matthew chapter three. So we're gonna be Matthew chapter three, verse 13, and we're gonna go through today, Matthew chapter four, uh, one through 11, all right? But here is three through 13 through four, one and two. So then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. In other words, that was saying, this is obedience. This was, this was an act of obedience to the Father. 
Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. All four gospel accounts begin Jesus' adult life and ministry with this, um, this scene, this, this occurrence, all four. Up until this point, only seven people know Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, all right? So we got Mary and Joseph who know that Jesus is the Son of God. We have Zachariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist. We, we know that they, they know that he is the Son of God. We know that Simeon and Anna, who encountered Jesus as a baby being dedicated in the temple and whatever, they know he's the son of God, but nobody else knows this, right? Because it's not like Mary's carrying around Jesus and someone says, my, isn't he cute? And she says, well, of course he's cute. He's the son of God, right? I mean, I mean this conversation is not happening. When, when, when Jesus grows up and begins working with his dad, I would, I would have to assume, or I want to assume, that he would have grown up working with his dad. And so when he produced his first sellable product, Let's just call it a table. And someone says, Joseph, man, your son has a talent for this. I mean, Joseph didn't say, well, of course he does. Of course he's good with wood. He created trees. Right, so not, none of this is happening. And we, we get to this point in time after 30 years of living in a small town. Anybody grow up in a small town? All right, small town. They know who you are. Right? They know how you like your sub. I mean, you know, they, they, they know who you are. And Jesus grows up in this town. They know who he is. And he stands, he comes up out of the water, and, and we have this, I can't see it as any other moment of this proud dad moment. I mean, because it's, it's what the word says. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my boy, and I sure is proud of him. Right? I mean, this is what proud parents do. Proud parents make scenes. Right? They hold up signs. Every kid I ever went to the ball game, I always, always kind of warned them, I'm going to bring a sign. I'm going to bring a sign, and I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to yell from the stands. I'm going to do what I can do. I am proud of you. So, really, when you back into this, you go, why did Jesus, and did he actually need to hear that God was proud of him? Let me answer that with a question. How many of you, what did, it did, what did it do for you when your mother and father said to you, I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you, daughter. What, what did that do for you? Now, for those that your mind is already going, I have had no one tell me that. I never heard my dad say that. I never heard my mom say that. I didn't have a dad to tell me that. I didn't have a mom to tell me that. The very fact that your mind went there already bringing that stuff tells you how important it would have been to hear. This is my son. This is my daughter. I, I am well pleased with you. I, I would say that in this part of Jesus's life, we start seeing a blurring of who he is in the flesh and he comes into more focus of who he is as the divine. 
that for thir- he emptied himself, he emptied himself as a glory to take on flesh, to be one of us, if you will. And the first 30 years of your life, that's the majority of his life. But in this moment, this is kind of a line of demarcation where the son of Mary and Joseph starts to fade and the son of the living God starts to surface. Becomes clearer. And I believe that this mattered not just to the people around to have heard, that it mattered for Jesus to hear. Then the oddest of things happen. You would think that after such a grand announcement, Jesus didn't book a private baptismal party, okay? This would have been in public, he would have been in line, right? He's in line, because when John the Baptist was baptizing people, people lined up, okay? So Jesus is in line. I don't see anything about where where Jesus would have skipped to the front of the line. John might have pulled him to the front of the line, who knows? He might have had a speed pass. I I don't know how that works then, right? All you Disney lovers. and so, with this big, vast audience of this is my son who and whom I'm well pleased, you would think he would go out and preach the best message ever, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount, right? I mean, this is where Jesus kind of lays it all out to everybody and just says, the kingdom you're living in now, it's not right side up. The real kingdom is my kingdom. And my kingdom operates like this. That's what the Sermon on the Mount basically is. This is what my kingdom looks like. This is how you function in my kingdom. But he doesn't do that. You'd have thought he could have just had the pick. He could have had his draft pick. He could have had ESPN top 300, like who had been his disciples right then, right? You know, he could have separated them by stars, you know, and the one-star recruits and the five-star recruits. He could have kind of lined everybody, put them through a little combine, you know, t- tested their, their, their Torah understanding, you know. He could have done a lot of stuff. No, no, what happens? What happens is it says the Holy Spirit then leads him into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And the hard thing to grasp here is God did not lead him to a four seasons. He leads him into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights. And the question really becomes, is that really necessary? Is this kind of isolation? Is this kind of practice of fasting? Is this really necessary? Is it possible to be full of God without fasting? And I would tell you it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. The best question is, can I have more of God? Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. The beauty of this to me is the fast that Jesus goes through is prior to the temptations he is confronted with. So this tells me God is always out for us to succeed. Okay? And so the the temptation, these aren't the three suggestions of Satan. These aren't the three alternative Direction. I mean, these are temptations, which means that at some level in these temptations, we find there was something that would have been appealing to Jesus as man, as son of Mary and Joseph. There would have been something appeasing to the flesh of Jesus, or they wouldn't be called temptations. And in order to, in order to put these temptations and put this to bed, and what, what I'll say is to solidify a number of things in, in, in the Jesus as son of God, this fast, this time was necessary. Why was it necessary? What takes place in this time? Really, by kind of backing back out of the temptations and what Jesus answered, we kind of learn a little bit about what these temptations were and how we can move forward and why why fasting is so important to renewal. 
So we start in verse, uh, verse three of chapter four, we get specific. It says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let's start with this definition of, or this designation of Satan, because of the tempter. We know in scripture he's the tempter. We know he is the adversary. He's identified as, as a liar, um, a thief is another designation, but he doesn't, he doesn't just steal, he doesn't just lie, he doesn't just deceive, he doesn't just um, tempt. He is chief among them. Th this is his character, right? These aren't just his actions, this is his character. But it's interesting in the Hebrew, the, the, way, the, the way the first century, uh, or the way that the Jews would have understood this um, would have been he is the one who deters us from the way, tries to get us off the path. That, that would have been their understanding. He, he is the one who tries to get us off the path. And I go, wow. I mean, that really resonates with me. Try to get us off the path. Do you know that Christians were first known as people of the way before they ever were known as Christians? We're called people of the way. I can't help but make the, a connection to that. In John 14, Jesus is what I call the great download. This is the last Passover. This is, Jesus, I'm about to leave. So here, I need to give you all this important stuff all concentrated in one time. In this, he's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to go away, but, you know, you, you, you can follow me. Um, I'm going to my father. You know, he's got a pretty big place. There's going to be plenty of room for you. Thomas speaks up and says, I, I, we, we don't know where that is. We don't know how to get there. He says, oh, no, 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 you do. Uh, you, you do. You, can follow, you follow me because I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, I'm the path. I'm the path. I have everything for you. And so I really love this understanding that Satan then is someone who tries to get us off the path. Okay? I'd say that he gets us in our own way, trying to have our own way. Th these are ways in which he tries to get us off the path. And so that's exactly what he's doing here. And this fast is Jesus's, I believe this is his deep breath. It's his deep breath. He responds to the temptation to turn this stone into a scone. That's, that's how I wrote it. Um, into a proclamation of his spiritual fullness. Satan wants to, make, wants to make it about what his power and liberty are. If you're the son of God, then you have the power and the liberty to do this. And I, and, and I, and I need you to prove to me that you're the son of God with your, with your power and liberty. And he, he, he just dismisses the question as irrelevant. Like, I mean, it's like Nick Saban in a press conference. He just, he just, he just doesn't have anything to do with the question. And he says, listen, I'm full, my paraphrase, I'm full of stuff that you don't even understand about fullness. I live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. It is rich, it is full, it is refreshing. And listen, he never dismisses the fact he's hungry. If you're gonna go through any part of this fast, excuse me, fast, let me just go ahead and, and warn you, because if you think this is like this really big spiritual practice, which it is, that somehow you won't be hungry, you're making the wrong connection, okay? I've had multiple people over the years of leading Gateway Through Fast give me some version of the word hangry and a plaque or a letter or whatever, because it happens, all right? And the fact of the matter is when you skip and you break your routine, especially around food, stuff comes, you can come unglued. Jesus doesn't deny that. He didn't say, I'm not hungry. You got it wrong. He's saying there is something to be full of that really is more superior than, than food. I'm, I'm full. Jesus, he's, this is not the only time he said this. This is the first time he says it. Later on, the disciples come back and say, hey, haven't you eaten? So doing the work of the Father is my food. 
I know food you, I, I have food you don't even know about. Jesus dismisses this idea of hunger and he goes right to the fullness of God. This, this is a, this is what happens when we prioritize the presence of God in our life over routine. Our lives are spent satisfying ourselves. Like, like I, I, I get a kick out of two things that I do. And this is gonna sound so, so unbelievably silly. I get a kick out of every time I go eat breakfast and I get a kick every time I get a chocolate milkshake. Because for so long in my life, the idea of getting up like my dad did and going to a particular place and having breakfast and spending that money three or four days a week, to me, I just get a kick out of that I can do that. And then I remember as a kid wanting to always stop and get a milkshake and be told no. And now you can't tell me no. If I want a milkshake at whatever time I want it, I'm gonna go get a milkshake. We, we work our lives to get to the place where we can do what we wanna do, when we wanna do it, and how we wanna do it. Fasting is a, is a, a, a moment in time where we're gonna say, we're not gonna do that. I, 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 am not, I am purposely not going to satisfy myself because there is a food and a fullness greater than what that milkshake or that bacon and eggs can fulfill. That's gonna go away. I mean, like, like literally, right? I mean, that's gonna go, that's gonna, it'll, it'll catch up. That, that's gonna go away, but being full with the spirit of God and his presence, well, that's not going to go away. I, I, wrote, I wrote this, I don't know if, um, I think I made it into a slide. Spiritual fasting is an intentional emptying of old dependencies and old reliances to make room for renewal. Fasting reveals our addiction to self-satisfying actions, shifts our dependency to God, and creates spiritual capacity for more of his presence. Because it's not possible to fast at any level of anything, unless, you know, it was interesting when Annie was little and she wanted to fast with us, the first thing when we asked about, what would you like, what are you gonna give up in this fast? And she said, green beans. The child had never tasted a green bean in her life at that point, right? So it's really not much of a challenge, right? Um, so it is an intentional emptying of old dependencies. I told you out of, out of um, Romans 12, now, do, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's putting something else new in there. And listen, if you're of any age, you're gonna have to get rid of some old to put some new stuff in there. You, you've already filled your life and your routine with old. And it's not even saying that the old is bad. It's just saying if you want something new, you gotta do something new to create some new capacity. So the second thing that gets renewed in this fast, so again, the fast, is not, the fast is not the focus. What the fast can produce in you, that's the focus, okay? The fast is a, it's a path that quite frankly in my life, nothing else has been able to do what a fast can do. Nothing. All right, so here's, here's the next one. This is a, fasting produces a renewal of personhood. Okay, identity. So here's Matthew 4, 5, and 7. Then the devil took him to a holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, again, he's coming at his identity. First time Jesus dismisses the question as even important, okay? If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up 
lift up in their hands so that you will, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. So the first time, if you're the son of God, then you do something. And he's saying, you're, you're not even in the ballpark here. I'm already full. You're, this is not important. The second time, he says, if you're the son of God, prove it that your, your father would do something. I don't want to take your word for it. I want to see, does God do something for you when you're in trouble? Interesting question. Jesus' response is, dude, you don't know my dad at all. He's already done everything for me to prove to me who he is. My, my dad doesn't work where you put him in positions where we'll prove it to me. When I was writing this, when I, and this is, this, is, this is different, this is a different kind of revelation that I've had in this passage before. That when, when we live in, our, in a posture before God, even as, as, as sons and daughters, when we live in this posture of prove it to me, that is a rut. Has he not already proven himself? Look, go back. Do, do your own mental exercises. Has he not already proven to you at some point in your life that he's father? Even if you have to go back to the moment of salvation. And I know this sounds very pastorish, but isn't that enough? Wouldn't that truly be enough? Maturing and growing in our faith isn't about how much we know. I, I think it goes into how much we trust. And that's why someone can be mature in the practice of their faith and they could be barely into it. Like they couldn't tell you, you know, Ezekiel or Elijah and Elisha. They couldn't tell apart. Most believers can't, I get it mixed up too. But J comes before S, that's how I remember. Elijah. And it just really struck me that if I continue to put God to the test, well, if you really loved me, this wouldn't be so hard. I understand the emotion of it, but can I tell you that it's, ju it's just not accurate? It's a false thought. It's a false thought. Um, here is, I've shown you this illustration before. This is a picture of a zebra. I love zebras. Zebras and giraffes. I've been in South Africa a number of times and, and been to the largest um, you know, safari, I guess, or the land and, and called... Um, uh, gosh, it just slipped my mind. Huh? Game reserve. Game reserve. Um, bigger than the state of New Jersey. And, and for some reason, giraffes and zebras just always get my attention. So, so this is a mariner full, and they're staring at one another. And, and um, what well, this is known as is imprinting. Imprinting. Okay, so when a foal is born, the mare takes the foal off to itself and, and they stare at one another until the, the pattern of the zebra is like a fingerprint, okay? It's unique. And so they will stare at one another until that is kind of like burnt into their mind. So no matter, and they're in the rest of the show, show the next one. So, you know, you can, be in, you can be in this herd of zebras 
and mama knows where her baby is. Now, some of you mamas, you already know when it's your child crying and someone else is crying, right? Right, you can go, that's not my child, I don't have to worry about that, thank God, right? And then it's, I better hurry up and give because she sounds like she's dying, right? So, so we, we, know, we, know the, we know these things. Have you ever walked up, maybe when you're little, have you walked up and grabbed the wrong person's hand thinking they're reparent? Anybody that, right? And then you realize you got the wrong hand, you freak out, right? Imprinting takes this, takes this away. Now, God already knows every hair, right? Well, this is, there's some unique things how scripture's written, right? He knows every hair on your head. He's, he's numbered them. He catches your tears in a bottle. He, he knew you before anybody even thought of you being a you. Like, he's already got you imprinted. Where is our level of imprinting? How long have we stared into the eyes of the Father so that we would know his voice instantaneously? We would know his hand. We, we would be able to see his hand in something when, when before we only saw the something. And to me, to me, for me, and for what I see in Scripture, and for what I, I think Jesus is telling us here, these 40 days, boy, there was some imprinting going on. And not only was there some imprinting going on, what we see throughout the next three and a half years of Jesus' life is he went away regularly to be alone with his father. Regularly. Regularly. Where does that appetite get created in? A fast. A fast. <laughs> this, this purposeful of emptying creates this awareness of where real fullness is. And when we find out where real fullness is, and we stare into the eyes of the Father, we start having a better understanding of what it means to be a son and daughter of God. There are two sides to adoption. There's the legal side of adoption. And there's the son and daughtership side of adoption, right? You can be legally adopted and still not feel like you belong to that family. You have all the rights and privileges but if you don't feel part of the family, then you're not a son and daughter. And I think even this time, I, I, I think this theological significance of this is again, he, for 30 years, he's been the son of Mary and Joseph. And that has been the upfront, that's how people know who he is. And I think in these 40 days, again, that that, his flesh side starts to blur. He's still fully God, fully man. I can't explain it. The journals have been written on it. But, but that image starts to blur. Even though at age 12, I'm going to be in my father's house about my father's business, right? That's just, that's somewhat like any other brash 12-year-old. But in here, his divinity starts to come much more clearer. And I think fasting is one of those things that makes the identity of Christ come much more clear in your life. Um, last one, renewal of purpose. Matthew 4, 8 through 10. Come on up, team. I'm already late. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I love the fact there that Jesus knows it's done. Like, you had your three chances, right? He was a big baseball fan, apparently, Jesus was, right? This was, this was, your, last, this was your last strike. Just go away. What, what, is, what is this attempt? What is Satan trying to attempt him to do here? Get him off the path. 
get him off the path. See, we know from scripture that says that every tongue, every, uh, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that, that Jesus is, if you, know the, if you know the word, say it, Lord. Okay? All right. What Satan was saying here is there, there is another way for you to get worship. I can arrange. I can arrange worship. You want worship? I can arrange worship. You can have, you, you can be worshiped by all, all of these kingdoms and, and time. You can be, you want worship? I know that's what you're after, worship. You can be worship. That's not what he was after. Now, again, these were temptations. But what he knew his purpose was, was lordship. And lordship was going to have to go by the way of the cross. And what Satan was offering was to bypass the cross to get the worship. But that wasn't going to renew anybody. And what this tells us, what this teaches us is the promises of the person who tries to get us off the path. They're empty. The last big exclamation point to me is that the temptations of the enemy to get you off purpose and path, they're empty facades. When I, I did live in Texas for a little time and their word was all hat, no cattle. looks the part. This looks like what you want. It's empty. Get away from me, Satan. And it ends. That period of time ends. Did Jesus know his purpose before he went into the wilderness? Yes. I, this, can anybody explain being fully God and fully man? I, I think as a pastor, I, I end up diminishing the flesh side of Jesus too much. I, I'm, good with, I'm good with the divinity side. I'm good with that side. I'm not as good with his flesh side. Like, Jesus, did you really struggle with that? But how else would we understand fully man? How else would we understand that if we didn't understand the pull and the tug of being fully man. And he'd been fully man for 30 years. He hadn't been fully God. Well, he, see, I even get my own, I even practice. I always get my tongue tied around this. How, you can't separate them together. And it's just so, but I, there is a shift. There is a no doubt a shift after these 40 days. It just changes. Because he comes out of this wilderness. He walks right into the temple. <laughs> and he says, reads out of the book of Isaiah and it says, I'm here. I mean, something changed where Jesus, I'm here. Now we're ready. Right? He would shortly after this turn water into wine. So he surely had the ability to turn rocks into bread. All right? It wasn't about ability. It was about that I'm not going to do that to get, I already have, I already have fullness. I, I don't have to do that. I already have fullness. Fasting will purposely empty yourself because you want a renewal of the presence of God. Fasting will help, will help change your patterns enough that just skipping a meal isn't fasting. We call that dieting, not even good dieting, right? But using that time, I mean, I think how much time is, is I waste around food? Thinking about food, where I'm gonna eat that food, I pull up the menu of that restaurant on my phone so I can make my decision as soon as I get there because I want to eat 
like sooner rather than later, right? So I, and, and I mean, Gina and I, we're so boring. We, we, we go to certain restaurants because we know we want that particular food, right? Like it might only have one thing on that menu and we only go to that restaurant for that one thing. But, but then, then I got to pay for the food. So then I lament that I paid for food. When you're, when you're cooking at home, then you gotta, you gotta make the grocery list. I hate going to the grocery store. I just, I hate it. I despise going to the grocery store. You gotta go to the grocery store. You gotta buy the food. You gotta prep the food. You gotta cook the food. You gotta clean up after the food. You gotta then put the food away that you do. How much time is taken around food? So what if at some point in time this month, so, it's, it's hard to kind of roll out the fast because everyone's still hung over from all the food and parties and all this kind of stuff. And, but 21 days would be from, you know, Monday to the end of, end of the month. Or some people probably have already, anybody already start their fast? Any of our regular folks already start their fast? Or people, some already started their fast? But I want to talk about it before I kind of try to lead you through it. Um, so here's, here's kind of three ways to go about this. One, um, uh, decide on the type of fast. Well, I didn't know there was more than one type of fast, Pastor. There, again, there's still probably, oh, there's still a dozen or 15 books out there that can help you through this. But, you know, scripture talks about there's complete fast, so, you know, food and water. Um, I, it says Jesus was hungry. He didn't say he was thirsty. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking he's, he's drinking water, right? But um, we have the Daniel fast, which you read in Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel goes without any choice of foods. Let me, let me tell you just what, what Gene and I do from a Daniel side fast. Anyways, it's, it's no meat, no sugar, no caffeine, basically. And, and, and you realize that it, that's in everything, right? You know, if when you get a headache, when you haven't had your coffee or you haven't had, in my case, sweet tea, um, when you get that headache and you're like, I can't survive with, with this headache, Basically, that's telling you your body has, has become so accustomed to that caffeine or that sugar that it's, your body's telling you what you should, you should do. You want, you want to appease me? You go do this. And I mean, that's what I think part of fast breaks. No, no, no. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to tell me what I'm going to do. And then, so what kind of, what type of fast are you going to do? Second would be, how long are you going to do it? I've never done a 40-day fast. I mean, I, 40, you read 40 in scripture, it's a real number. It's also a metaphor for completeness. Um, I'm, I have no intention of doing a 40-day unless God carves that onto my forearm. Uh, but I don't know. I, during this time, we traditionally land on 21 days, but there's plenty of people don't do 21 days in this. There's been plenty of people do three. When you go through scriptures, one day fast, three days fast, you read seven day fast, 10 day fast, Right, so there's there's a whole length. When when you when we lock in, you know, David's type of fast, he actually did that type of fast for two and a half years. So I'm like, I'm not up to that. But when you decide the type of fast and the length of the fast, now you got your parameters of knowing what's in front of you to do. Let me encourage you to do this though: you can do more than you think you can do. Okay, stretch. Do something more than give up green beans. Okay. And then here's, here's one that I've always kind of done this solo and I think it's, I've kind of done it wrong maybe. Include someone else in your fast. Hook up with somebody. Maybe a spouse, maybe a son or daughter, maybe a, a friend, maybe someone in your church or small group, whatever. You know, and so you can share 
in this fast, these experience, because there's physical experiences that you, is this real? Is it, my tongue feels like it's about four, five, it's too big, right? And it's because when you go without food for a period of time or whatever, you're, you get this coating on your tongue you know, and you know it's, you can kind of know it's, it's normal, but also that you can share with someone where you need renewal. And it might be outside the parameters of what I talked about today, um, presence, identity, pur- pur- purpose, but there's a lot of things Pastor Chris walked us through even in our prayer time of what we need renew. Where's the residue? Where is that life residue still hanging on to you? There's still probably seven journals out of a hundred that I put out last week. Um, again, a journal is written, your written journey. I'd encourage you to do some writing, your prayers, your questions to write. I'll get more if, if, if I go out after first service and those seven or 10 bucks a piece, if they're gone, then I'll order, I can order 20 more um, and keep doing it until they're gone. Um, but also on our website, the renewal page, and it's now on the front and center, you can click renewal 22. There's a place where you can put a request, a prayer request. And what I would encourage you to do is, especially if you have anybody else to share what you need renewal in, write it there. Write it there, the elders, the pastoral team, we will pray over your area of needing renewal. This is the month this isn't, January isn't um, the end of our renewal. It's the beginning of our renewal. This is, this is gonna be a process that God, God wants to, and it's just unique for me. He just wants to take this year to, re, to renew you. I mean, that's so much better than a month. Father, we are, I I guess I need to even say it out loud and publicly in this room, Lord, I receive your promise of renewal. I receive it as a promise. And I will live in the joy of renewal even before I am renewed. And Lord, this fast is where I offer myself to you. And I, I, I do that for the purpose of fullness. And I will gladly change my routine in order to recognize you better. I will gladly change my routine to get back on the path. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.